Welcome, 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 beautiful people. Welcome to Sunday. It's good to see you guys. Welcome to our Sunday worship. It is great to be able to worship with you all today. Uh, I got a good word for you, and I pray that the Lord speaks to you today. My name is Tony, by the way. If you guys did not know, I am the uh, pastor here for our English ministry. Uh, may the Lord bless you this day as we get into his word. We are in a series in our church, uh, in a theme. Our theme for uh, 2023 is, is a, a rhythm in Christ, okay? Rhythm with Christ. We want to we see that our lives not only, just not only intellectually or uh, verbally understand that we know who Christ is, but that our lives has a rhythm that matches that understanding, Okay? We don't want just talking, we don't want just to talk about knowing God. We want our lives to actually match that rhythm. And so we've been talking about throughout this whole year of rhythms that, would, uh, that we can develop, rhythms that we should have that begins to engage our relationship and our hearts with God. Rhythms like prayer, rhythms like how we address our workplace, rhythms like today, like this, uh, like this, this sermon we're in, rhythm of rest. Okay? It is so true because the way you rest is actually an indication of your faith. The way you rest tells us if you actually believe and cling to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Do you trust him? Right? So the way you rest does that. So we've talked a couple, about a couple things. We talked about that rest is the gift. Okay? Gift is a gift from us, from God to us. A time where we can actually stop, cease from our work to recalibrate, recenter. Begin to identify what is it that's driving our hearts. Begin to question what is it that we're doing with our lives. And making sure that instead of going off the track that is the straight and narrow, that we come back to it. It's a gift. It's a day when we can recalibrate and recenter. We also shared that rest is not only an uh, a, a intellectual mindset thing, right, but it's a delight. That if you're resting correctly, you begin to actually experience more of God. See, God is an infinite God. God is a beautiful God. He is an amazing God. He is a majestic God. And he wants so much for you to experience his infinite grace, beauty, and power. And sometimes we don't delight in him because we don't have the opportunity to engage with him. And rest gives us these moments where we can come before him and delight in who he is. Come to the reality of his presence, of his reality. Right? Rest also gives us an ability to be prepared for what he has for us to do. See, before God can work through you, he has to be with you. See, God has a plan for every single one of those who he calls sons and daughters. He, does, he, he, he finds you as you are, but he will never leave you as you are. He has a desire to take you to a place to, to, to build his kingdom through you. But he will never, before you can actually be worked through, uh, before he can actually work through you, he has to be with you. So rest allows for you to be in his presence, to understand his heart, so you can go out and begin to live his will in his kingdom. So if you guys, especially if you're in college, you're asking the question, what am I doing in my life? What's the purpose of my life? You're asking those ex existential questions of your life. Maybe the one thing you need to do is rest and ask him. Rest and allow for him to speak to you. And last week I shared that rest requires faith. Right? Because a lot of us, no matter how much I've been, I, I'll, I'll share this until I'm blue in the face, you will still have this nagging feeling, I don't have time to rest. I don't have the energy to rest. I'm, I'm young, I have to hustle with this. I don't have time to rest. Ain't nobody got time. 
And the promise that God's word gives to us last week was that if you would have the faith to take one day to refresh your soul, the promise of God is that in what you think you needed six days to do, God will do. Or what, you, what you think you needed seven days to do, God will do in six days. Right? Rest requires faith. It requires faith. But today I want to share with you. So today I, I promised you that I got, I got to tell you how to rest, right? What are some things you do during rest? So today I want to share with you the, God's prescription for rest. Okay, what are we to do during this rest time? Remember last week I told you guys that when we go past the six-day work period and we go into seven, we go into 10, 14 days in a row, when we just constantly work nonstop, what begins to happen to your, to your attitude, your, your heart, your soul, right? First thing becomes is you get to be irritable. And remember that? You get irritable. Short-tempered, a little snappish, right? Everything, everything uh, people does gets you kind of annoyed, right? Like they can just say hi and you just feel annoyed by that already, okay? If, you, if you're working past the six-day period that God has given to us, all of a sudden our, 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 our temperament gets a little bit irritable. And then after you get irritable, you start to discover that everybody around you is lazy. You start saying like, why is everyone so lazy? Why are they so incompetent? How come... They're always messing everything up. And you feel like you're the only one who's doing things correctly. You're the only one who's stepping up to the plate. You're the only one who is carrying the weight. You're the only one that's making things happen. Right? And then further on, as you become, as, as you continue to work, you become resentful. Right? And you develop this martyr complex. You say, I'm the only one who cares. And I'm the only one who tries in this place. And ultimately, it leads to what? Burnout, right? It leads to burnout. And you're just kind of, you're, you're drained, you're burnt. Because you push yourself beyond what you're supposed to do and you didn't take your time to rest. Today we're going to share, I'm going to share with you a story about a prophet named Elijah who was pushed to the place of burnt out. Right? He was burnt. Burnt to a place where he just said, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. He threw up his hands. I don't want to serve God. I don't want to do any of these things anymore. And we're going to see how God shows up and in the day gives him the prescription to rest. And in that rest, restores, rebuilds, and sends him back out. Okay, we're going to learn about God's prescription for rest today. So open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. If you guys want to follow along, I have the, the, my notes up there. You guys can follow along so you know when I'm done. Or where I'm at, okay? First Kings chapter 19, okay? Let me build the, the context for you, okay? In those days, in the days of Israel, back in the days, the, there's a check and balance system that God had for his people. The check and balance system was that there's a king, there's a priest, and there's a prophet. The king is meant to rule God's people with God's law. The priest was meant to bring God's people into the presence of God. Okay? And these two branches, if you would say, of the system was meant to care and protect God's people. Okay? And what ends, up, what ends up happening was in this time, the king at that time was King Ahab, and he was a wicked king, the Bible says. And instead of actually marrying someone within his Israel, he decided to make an alliance with another nation. He brings in his wife named Jezebel, and as long, along with Jezebel, she brings in all of uh, of the worship of Baal with her. She brings in the priests, 
She sets up school systems in Israel. She, just, she sets up worship places in Israel. She sets up temples in Israel. And all of a sudden, Israel is surrounded and infiltrated and saturated by the worship of Baal. Did you think the king did something to protect the people from that? Nope. Did the priests do something to stop the people from coming to God? Nope. They were so scared of Jezebel. They were so scared of what she was doing that they didn't say a single word. They kind of just went with it. And whenever God's people, God's king and God's priests went away, went, 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 went astray. Whenever God's king and God's priests went astray, God sends in the gambit, which is the third. It's the prophet. The prophet's job is basically to reset the whole system, right? His job is to come in and tell everyone, you screwed up, you messed up, we got to reset, okay? And so as Ahab is screwing up the nation, as the priest of God is no longer allowing for the worship of God being done in the nation, God raises up a prophet named Elijah. He says, go in there and reset my system. He goes in and he resets the system. He challenges Jezebel's prophets and, uh, uh, prophets and, and, and priests to a duel. He, did, he does things that hasn't been done since the days of Moses. Okay? In the Bible, there's only a few years of miracles. Right, Moses was one of those times where you had the amazing miracles. Elijah's time period was one of those times as well. So since the days of Moses, the people have not seen such great miracles. But God sends in Elijah to reset the system. And he challenges the, the, the prophets and priests of Baal to a duel on a mountain called Carmel. And he goes up, sets up two places of uh, offerings, bull offerings. And he said... If your God, pray to your God, and if he answers by fire to consume the offering, then Baal is the true God. But if my God, Yahweh, Jehovah, comes and answers by fire, then my God is the true God. He's going to reset the system because he's going to show the king, the queen, the people who the true God is. And so the prophets of Baal, they come up, hundreds of them, they walk around day and night around this, this, um, this offering, right? The sacrifice. They're whipping themselves. They're cutting themselves. They're bleeding. They're crying out for, for, their, for their God to show up. And guess what happened? Nothing happened. And Elijah being, you know, the prophet, he's the gambit. So he's kind of like the, the punk. So he says, yeah, maybe she should scream a little louder. Maybe your God's on the toilet. You know, he, he can't hear you. So scream a little louder, he says, mocking them. And they yelled and they wailed and they cried. And God, their God did not answer. Baal didn't answer. Then it was Elijah's turn. One man against an army of priests and prophets. One man steps up into his, his offering. What does he do? He pours water onto the offering. Right? Just in case everyone's thinking, you know, he's going to somehow magically or tricks, he's going to trick, trick the system somehow to like light, the fire, light it up on fire. He pours water all over it until it becomes like this huge uh, trench. And then he bows his head, knees bows his head, and he begins to pray. And as he prays, the fire from heaven comes and consumes the sacrifice. And in that day, everyone began to bow down. They worshiped the living God, and the priests were, and the prophets of Baal were basically cut down. So here we are, amazing moment. Elijah's been working nonstop to reset the system, to bring God's people back. He's been resetting the system, and he's thinking, I got it. It's done. The people are with me. The king understands now. God has shown up in power, in reality. There is no way that they are going to doubt 
the God, our God again. And so what happens? So now he's ready. Where we're going to find ourselves. He's at the end of chapter 18. He is running towards the, uh, towards the capital. Because he's going to take out Jezebel. The one who kind of started this whole mess. He's going to take her out. And he's thinking there's going to be a whole army of people coming, after, coming with him. He's going to think that the, the king Ahab is going to realize, oh man, I messed up. I married the wrong lady. And everything's going to be done. So he runs. And as he runs there, he gets a letter from Jezebel. And instead... Instead of the people rising up, right, Jezebel says, I will kill you by this time tomorrow. And he's thinking, what, what, what just happened here? We just, we just did all this. How come no one is following me? How come nothing is happening? How come there is no reset? He's working. He's toiling. He is nonstop. And now he is absolutely burnt. Go check to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. Let me read this for you guys. And he's so tired that he basically gave up everything, okay? He's out of strength. He's, he's afraid. He's angry. He did everything he could. He told God he wanted to die. He gave up his servant. He gave up his ministry. And as a huge sign of depression, he went to sleep. Check this out. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah, the Bible said, was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Why did he leave his servant? He says, I'm done, man. You got, you're on your own. Don't follow me anymore because I'm basically quitting my job. Okay? While he himself went a day's journey into the desert. Okay, best place to go is just so where no one can find you. He's in the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree, and he fell asleep. So you can imagine the angst he's in. He's been working nonstop for God. This is not even like just nonsense. He's working for God. This is not just like on his own thing. He is working nonstop for God and he felt to himself that this time surely everything will work itself out. The system will reset. Everyone will follow and I will find victory. And the result was there was no victory. There was no win. And actually his life was threatened and he was actually going to be in trouble. And he finally said, I'm done. I'd rather die. How many times have uh, you know, we, 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 we contemplated, we're so exhausted, especially if a lot of us who, who suffer from depression. We just feel like, we just, we just kind of contemplate, wouldn't it be so much easier if everything just kind of gets snuffed out? You're not in, you're in, you're in similar company with Elijah. And, 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 and you know, if you, if you suffer with depression, one of the things you, you, you do is that you don't get out of bed. You don't want to get out of bed. You just want to lay there and not move. That's Elijah. I'm done. I'm burnt. I do not want to continue this. How does it end? God understands this because he understands the human heart, right? And God is going to prescribe and he's going to give a prescription for Elijah to rest. And we're going to see how God helps Elijah in his rest. But here's my thing. For a lot of us, when we're in that state of burnt, tired, depressed. Some of us, we turn to certain things to reduce that. And, and what we turn to really kind of determines on how we, how we view the world, 
how we view our reality. See, for, folks, for some people, if you reduce your life and you reduce yourself down just to physical, meaning we're just human beings, we're just physical beings, we're just uh, bodies, we're just, you know, chemicals, we're just things built together, what do you do? How do I relieve myself from this burnt out feeling? How do I relieve myself from this depression? How do I relieve myself from this pain? What do you do? You pop a pill. You take a drug. Something that can just kind of wake you up. Something that can just make you feel numb. Something that can make you feel fuzzy so then you have to deal with the reality. You pop a pill. Or you go off and you just kind of drown yourself. In, in, in addiction, you drown yourself in alcohol, drown yourself in drugs, drown yourself in just the company of people. You just do whatever you can so that you don't have to feel anything. All right? Because if you reduce yourself down to something physical, the remedy is only to get rid of the physical pain. Pill, distract my mind, do anything I can just to get out of this situation I'm in. Or if you reduce yourself down to just the emotional state. I'm just an emotional person. What do you do? You just talk. All I want to do is just keep talking. You talk, you talk. You have, this, you have these sessions of verbal vomit, right? You don't want to actually get better, right? But you just want to constantly express yourself over and over and over. That's all you want to do. I just want to complain. I just want to share. I just want to keep talking. Do you want to get better? No, I just want to keep talking and keep talking and keep talking. Sometimes in our generation, and, and I, I say this with as much caution and love as possible, you know, I, 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 I do believe that therapy is good. I do. One of, the, one of the side effects of therapy that I've seen is that we use it as a crutch to stay weak. God says that you are more than conquerors. There are, there are seasons in your life that you are broken. I admit that. There are seasons in your life when you are in a bad state. I get that. And you go into therapy for healing, yes, but you were meant to get healed, not to use it to stay weak, not to use it as a crutch where you cannot move forward. Sometimes in our emotional state, we think that if I can just keep going here, it's fine, I'm talking it out, I'm in this place, over and over, and we, and we rather stay constant in that. And here's the, here's the third thing, if you reduce yourself down to just spiritual, if you guys are just spiritual, what do you think? Religious people in the church, they start thinking stuff, I'm a sinful person, that's why I'm, this is going, this is happening to me, right? I must not love God enough, that's why I'm burnt, right? Burnt, people who love God, they don't get burnt, they don't get tired, they shouldn't be tired, right? You blame your condition based on what you haven't done for the Lord, so guilt begins to rise in you. See, whatever you reduce yourself down, that is the prescription you give to yourself. And we're always so singular, in their, our, our reduction. But God is so wise in the way he deals with the human soul. Because he knows you're not just only physical. You are emotional and you are spiritual. He understands that you are all three in one. Because he made you all three in one. And so his prescription is to heal all three, not just one at a time. Not just one, singular. And you have to understand that too. If you want to be healed from your burnt state, from your lost state, from your sadness or your brokenness or even your depression. It's not just dealing with just the physical by itself or the emotional by itself. You have to approach it with physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. And this is how God did it. Look at verse 6 to 10. So here is Elijah. 
I don't want to get up. I just want to lay down. God, just kill me already. Okay? I give up on my ministry. In verse 5, he says, at the end of verse 5, he says, And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a case of bread, a cake of bread, baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went to a cave and spent the night. And then the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And in those few verses, what do we see? We see how God cares for Elijah. We see God's prescription for Elijah's rest. If you guys haven't seen it yet, let me show it to you. Okay. God's wisdom is so comprehensive in his care. And I'm telling you, he's comprehensive in his care for you. Verse 6 to 7, it says, He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread, Baked over hot coals in a jar of water, he ate and drank, and then he lay down again. God cared for him physically. He cared for him physically. He gave him food. Right? The cake didn't just popped up. He cooked a meal for him. I don't know what the angel did, but the angel cooked the meal. It like, must be some magical meal, but it was, a, it was a pretty amazing meal. Okay? It wasn't just regular, like, 85 degrees cake here, guys. This is, like, this is heaven's cake, okay? This is, like, this is like stuff from heaven. So he cooked, and he gave him rest. The Bible says what? The, the angel of the Lord touched him. It touched him. He was emotionally and physically there for Elijah. It wasn't that he was distant from Elijah. He came, he touched Elijah, and he says, get up and eat. There's a physical need that Elijah needed. A physical need to know that God was near. And so God came and showed him that he was near. And gave him rest and touched him. In verse 8 to 9... Or at verse 10, God cared for him emotionally. Or verse 9, I'm sorry, end of verse 9. God cared for him emotionally. What happened? He, he came to God at the mountain, and God said, what are you doing here? What is he doing? He's asking a question. How many of you guys been in therapy, and all they do is ask you questions, right? Well, the first thing they do is ask you a question. Why do they ask you a question? To get you to? To talk. So he knew that Elijah needed to vent. He needed to talk, and so God asked him a question. Elijah, what do you, it's like God didn't know what Elijah was doing there. Right? Of course he did. But he asked Elijah, what are you doing here? To initiate in Elijah, to invoke the ability for Elijah to share. He knew Elijah needed to say something. And not just to say something to anyone, but say it to him. So he cared for Elijah emotionally. And on top of that, in verse 8 to 9, he cared for Elijah spiritually. He said, what? The, the journey is far. I want you, I'm going to give you the direction to find me. To find God. But it's a long journey. It's actually a 40-day journey. You got to go find him. I'm going to give you the direction. To, he's there. You want to talk to him? You want to vent? You want to have? He's there. He gave him direction to find God spiritually. So he cared for Elijah both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It wasn't one or the other. It wasn't just focus on one and forget the, it was all three because the human heart, your heart, your life is both physical, spiritual, and mental. And so you need to be cared for physically, emotionally, and spiritually for the holistic of your healing. In 
so when we come to the idea of Sabbath, that's what Sabbath is. You guys realize that? The Sabbath rest is the gift from God to care for you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. How you approach Sabbath can actually restore, rebuild, and strengthen your foundation, your heart, your mind, your direction. How you approach Sabbath can transform all of that. So let me share with you some practical. I usually don't do this a lot, but let me share with you this one practical section, okay, about Sabbath. How can we practice Sabbath? So we know off the bat that it has to be cared for physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So let me show you what happens here. First, to practice Sabbath, it requires a day. It's one day. The promise is one day. If you trust me, take this one day off to rest. Cease from working. Cease from um, doing things that's going to control your mind. Cease from that. Rest to be refreshed. I promise you, on that day, I will get for you to, I, I will do for you in six what you think you need a seven to do. Rest on this day. So it takes one day. Most people take a sundown to sundown. Okay? So basically, 7 p.m. on, oh, pick a day, it doesn't matter, right? 7 p.m. for mine is Tuesday, 7 p.m. Tuesday to 7 p.m. Wednesday night, okay? Or 8 p.m., kind of extended Wednesday, maybe 10, if, uh, <laughs> right? So 7 to 7, right? One full day, 24 hours. Because you need, you, you need to have that sleep part in there, okay? You can't just, like, I'm only get 24 hours of full play time. It's like, it has to have the, the sleep part because sleep is very important here. Okay? From 7 to 7, the one of the first things you got to do is you, you got to have something that's what we call a sheer inactivity, something that's unplanned. Unplanned. Sporadic. Just shows up. Okay? Give yourself something to do unplanned or unstructured. Play a game. Okay? This is where you can watch a Korean drama. Right? Go out randomly for, for, for a movie or a date. Right? Grab something that you like to eat. Something unplanned. Just so it's, it's Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, let's do something. All right, we didn't plan it, let's just go out and do it. Sheer inactivity. Okay? Give yourself about eight hours of sleep, you know, depending on how long you need it. Okay? But I'm sure most times it's eight hours. For you college kids, it's eight hours. Okay? Don't, don't do six, don't do four, don't do three. Okay? It's, it's eight hours. You need eight hours. Okay? Eight hours of sleep. And then the next day you wake up. So if you sleep at 12, let's say you did some 7 to 12, so from 12, you wake up at 8, your day starts at 8, okay? So here in this, in, this, in this day of your rest, three things, physical, emotional, and spiritual. The first thing is, you got, this is a, what we call the intentional activity. These are planned out activities. You're planning these things. The first is a contemplative rest. This is the spiritual part. Make the time in that day, right, in that moment, as you wake up, to have a, a place where you're hearing what God is saying to you. This is when you do your devos. This is when you do your QTs. This is when you listen to a message. This is when you're singing worship songs. This is a moment when you and God are connected. There's a solitude. There is a closeness there. You are resting with him. You're allowing yourself to listen to him. You're opening your heart to hear what he has to say. You're, you're, you're opening yourself up to see where he's at. And where he wants you to be at. You're opening, you're being up to the presence and the reality of God. That's a contemplative rest. This is planned. And then you also plan, second thing, recreational rest. Okay? Recre do something fun that's planned out. This is for your physical. 
Do something fun that you plan out. Go to a concert, board game at home, dinner with friends, grab lunch with somebody. These are things that you plan out during the day that you're enjoying. Don't do it because you're, you're forced. It has to be an enjoyment, right? It has to be something that you're enjoying to do. Not something that you just got to do because you made a bunch of meetings and you, you don't know how to get out of it. Okay? You're enjoying this. Okay? If you're married, you got to figure out a win-win situation here. Right? Sometimes your wife says, let's go to the pumpkin patch. You're like, um, oh, that's not really fun, wife, right? You know, let's find a way to make this extra fun for me, you know? So pumpkin patch and then a little something-something, right? Like, you know, you, 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 figure out, you figure out what is fun, okay? Sorry, that was wrong, right? So, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then, and then, so physical rest. And then the third type of in, uh, plan activity is aesthetic rest. Aesthetic rest. This is the emotional part. Okay? Works, look for works of God you find beautiful. Take a hike. Be in nature. Okay? Go to a museum. Whatever it is where you can experience the works of God in such a way where you are in awe, where you find beauty, where you experience his creativity, when you experience the creator in the, in the midst of it, where there's an emotional drawn to it. Go watch a musical. I love watching Le Mis. Oh, man, every time I watch that thing, that hits me, hits me hard every single time, right? Have you ever watched that? Right? These are emotional places that you can rest. Time to, and this is a time when you come to do what? This is where you can think and recalibrate and recenter. As you're experiencing God's beauty, as you're experiencing God's creativity, as you're experiencing the creator, this is the time when you begin to ask the question, hey, do I remember who I am in God? He's so am- Do I remember who I am? Do I remember, right, his presence in my life? Do I remember my purpose in life? What is it? These are the times when you can actually recenter, recalibrate. So everything we've been talking about during this rest, it all comes into here. So in your spiritual part, okay, you're, you're connecting, you're hearing from the Lord. You're, 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 you're figuring out what God is telling you to do. Because God cannot work through you unless he is with you. And so to be, to be with you, you got to have that plan to actually have a moment with him. Right? And then when you have the recreational rest, this is your physical rest. This is when you begin to delight in God. Right? I, I tell you the truth. Playing a board game can be a very delightful thing with the Lord. Right? Going to a concert, depending on which concert. It's up to you, right? Depending on your, your, your I'll tell you a little bit about this too. Right? Dinner with friends can be a very delightful thing with you. But these are some things to consider as you do your Sabbath, okay? So the whole point here is that in your rest, physical, emotional, spiritual, God can use that. If you take your Sabbath well, God can use that to restore you. As he is using this, as, as you will see, he restored Elijah. He restored Elijah within these moments by giving him physical, spiritual, and emotional rest. He gave him a Sabbath day. And God has given us that same gift, a Sabbath day day to do this. So things to consider while you're on Sabbath, okay? Getting very practical. I'm, I'll, I'll get back into the word in a second. I just need to get you guys into this uh, practicality, right? Things to consider. Are you an introvert or an extrovert, right? If you're an introvert, going to a concert is not a Sabbath for you. It is death, right? It is death to your life, right? If you're an extrovert, staying home, reading a book, is not Sabbath for you. It is death to your soul, 
okay? So you got you to gotta consider, are you an introvert or are you an extrovert, right? And, and you plan out the physical, the emotional, the spiritual based on that, okay? Second thing to consider, don't necessarily count family time as Sabbath time, okay? Don't count family time as, as I'm, you're with your family, yeah, but that's not really a Sabbath rest for me, right? It seems more like I got to work on my Sabbath here. So don't count family time as a rest time necessarily, okay? Especially when they're young. You can't do that, right? Maybe when they're older, it can be the same. And here's the third thing to consider. And this is in my notes, okay, by the way. Be accountable for specific seasons when you can't take the Sabbath. There are just sometimes we're just in bad seasons, right? Really difficult seasons, Someone in your family is sick, and you have to just attend to them constantly, right? You're in a residential program where you're just on call all the time, right? These are a season that begins to happen in your life, and that's okay. What we want to make sure is that we, we are accountable for those seasons, but we, don't, we want to make sure those seasons don't last too long. Two to three years, good stretch. If you find yourself living in that season for like 10 years, you've gone way too long in that season. There are seasons, of course, where you're on call, these things happen. But even in those seasons, you still have your daily rhythm with the Lord. That's still an important part. You don't just say, okay, well, I'm, 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 I'm really busy now because I'm in school. I'm really busy now because work is crazy, so I'm just going to cut God out. No, you still have your daily rhythm. You may not be able to experience your Sabbath as rhythmically as you'd like, right? But you want to do everything you can to get back into it. You're not just going like, to pass it off and like, well, I'll just... Happens when it happens again, I guess, right? Because when you do that, guess what happens? It's never going to happen again. Ten years later, he's like, have you taken a Sabbath? No. Right? No wonder your life sucks, okay? So as you take a Sabbath, you know, again, what's the reason for that? What's the reason here? When you come to a, if, if you don't practice Sabbath, there will be a season in your life when you're just burnt. You just work so many hours and you're burnt. And the Sabbath, like I've shared, is not a vacation, guys. It's not just simply, I'm going to take three weeks off and take a vacation because I've worked for ten weeks. That's not a Sabbath. A Sabbath is this rhythm with the Lord where you are caring for you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You're allowing the word of God, you're allowing God's presence to restore you physically, restore you spiritually, restore you emotionally. This is the rhythm you got to get into. And it's hard. I, I, I promise you it is hard. But once you make it sacred to your heart, you're going to love it. I promise. Once you make it a sacred thing to your life, as it should be, as it's commanded to be, actually, you're going to love it. Right? And if you're out there and you're thinking, nah, it's just, just not me, bro. I mean, like, you're old, so you need rest. It's, I, I tell you, I wish I did this earlier. Right? Like, I, I look forward to Tuesday night, 7 p.m. I don't know, right after work on, on Tuesday, I look forward to that because I know that Wednesday, no matter what happens, I don't, I'm, I'm not worried. Just 7 to 7, and just let God do his thing. Look forward to it. I feel rested afterwards. Now, the question then is this, how do you know you've actually did the Sabbath, right? So like, I can, okay, cool, I'll, I'll just try to put something together, right? I'll, I'll give it a shot. How do you know you actually did the Sabbath correctly? As we pick up the story here, two things will begin to happen. This is how you know that you've actually Sabbathed faithfully, okay? 
as you continue to practice your Sabbath, these things will begin to happen in your life if you practice Sabbath faithfully. So here we have Elijah being restored physically, emotionally, spiritually, okay? Verse 10. So this is, uh, this is when he's emotionally uh, going to vomit to God right here. He replied, I have been very zealous. When God asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Do I have been so zealous for the Lord God Almighty? The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your, this is, you know he's bitter, right? He's like, he's like, everyone's messed up, everyone's screwed up, everyone's lazy. Not me, though. I've been, I've been, I've been working hard for you, Jesus, right? I am the only one left, he says. And now they're trying to kill me, too. I'm the only one doing the right thing. I'm the only one making things happen. I'm the only one being faithful. And now, guess what? My faithfulness landed me in a death trap. And God spoke back to him. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then the great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. All right. I want you to notice something. He says, go out, stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord, but the, but the Lord is about to pass by. Okay. When Elijah walked out of this mountain, when he was there, he was probably in the same mountain that Moses was at. He was probably in the same cleft that Moses was at when God walked past him. A rock protecting him, right? One of the things you know that you Sabbath well is that you begin to begin to, you begin to come to this realization of the other destruction that was yours. And if not for the cleft, if not for the rock that shielded you from the judgment of God, which comes in the picture of wind, earthquake, and fire, you would be dead. You would be destroyed. See, Sabbath, you know you Sabbath well, is that as you come out of Sabbath, you begin to have a deeper love and appreciation for what Jesus Christ had did for you. You begin to delight in the fact that he shielded you from the coming judgment due to you based upon not what God did, but based upon your own sin before him. A judgment that was meant to destroy and utterly wipe you out. But if not for the grace of Jesus Christ, you would have been screwed. But because he's there, because he is the shield, because he is the rock, because he is the cleft that shielded you from the judgment of fire, wind, and earthquake, you stand before God whole and intact. One of the ways you know that you are experiencing Sabbath well, that you are practicing Sabbath well, is that you come out of it with greater desire for Jesus, greater, greater hunger for Jesus. Oh, shoot, sorry. Right? Greater desire, greater wanting for Jesus. See, if you come off a of vacation, you come back, and you're still tired, Christ has not been more magnified in your life, you didn't Sabbath. You didn't Sabbath. Wife, can you call my mom? If you're watching, right? You didn't come out. You didn't, you, I'm, I'm sorry, but my, uh, my, uh, my grandma's in the hospital, so she's, I think the, the, the doctor might be calling, right? Um, 
If you, if you come off a vacation and you come back and, you know, you, let's go back to the daily grind. And there's not a deeper magnification of Christ in your life. You didn't, you didn't Sabbath. You took a break from life. You took a pause, but you just went back to it. Nothing's changed. You see, out of the Sabbath, there should be a delight in the realization, I am a son and daughter of the living God. My promise is secure. My hope is secure. My future is secure. I know who I am. I do not fear. In Christ, I am more than con- I'm a more than a conqueror. I am loved. I am protected. I am shielded. I am his. That's the reality of Sabbath. As you practice Sabbath, that depth, that truth should be deeper in you each and every day, each and every week as you practice it. So how do you know if you practice Sabbath well? A reality of Christ being your protection and your shield. But here's the second thing. This is how you know you, you, uh, you practice Sabbath well. Is that you can hear his voice. Verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak. This, when the, uh, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he repeats, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left. And now, <clears throat> and now they are trying to kill me too. <clears throat> right? And he says this to Elijah. Then the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. So you thought you gave up your ministry? <laughs> Just kidding. You got to get back on, okay? Anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nibshi, king of over Israel, and anoint Elisha, Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. The way you know that you've done Sabbath well is that as you exit Sabbath, you begin to hear his word clearer and clearer in your life. Elijah thought he was going to be done with ministry, done with that stuff, done with God. And yet God says, no, I want you to go back in. I want you to do this work. I want you to do my work. I want you to anoint my kings. I want you to do what I've called you to do. And I want you to know that you're not alone because there are 7,000 who have not bowed the knees. The way you know that you're doing Sabbath well as you exit it, that you're hearing what God is telling you to do. You feel the stirring of your heart. You feel the push of your soul. You, 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 you recognize it is I have to do this or I will not be able to live. I will have to do this or else I just will not be at peace with myself. It is God's word pulsating in my soul and I have to move. I have to move. That's how you know. You Sabbath well. That's how you know you practice the Sabbath. Otherwise, all you're doing is taking a break 
from your week and then going back into it. Sorry. <coughs> and going back into it. Right? When you have practiced the Sabbath, which is a gift to you from God to restore you emotionally, to restore you physically, to restore you spiritually, when these areas of your life are being restored on a weekly basis, on a continual rhythmic basis for your life, you walk out of this place. You walk out of each of those Sabbath days delighting in the beauty of who Christ is, recognizing the brokenness of where you are, and you hear his call into your life, whatever that may be. Whatever that may be. Church, have you done that? Do you find, let me ask you a question. This is one of the, this is one of actually the fruits of what you know as God's working in you. Do you find yourself delighting in Christ more? Do, do you think of Jesus and just think of Jesus as, oh yeah, he saved my sin, cool. Get out of jail, free pass, right? Or do you think of Jesus and you're thinking, I'd rather be with him than anything else in my life? Do you think of Jesus and do you, do you echo the same sentiments of Paul? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'd rather be with Christ at this moment. It is so much better for me to be with him. I just want him. He is so good. He is so sweet. Do you echo the sentiments of Paul that says, now this life I live, I live not for myself, but I live for Christ who gave his life for me? Do you, do, do you have, oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, sir. Do you walk out and thinking to yourself, here I am. This is my job. This is my work. This is my trajectory. This is what I'm going to be future, in my future I'm going to be doing. Do you begin to ask the question, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want these hands, these feet to be the tools in which you use to love, care, and serve the world. I want, I want my life to be a life that matters for your kingdom. I want to bring the glory of Eden to every part in which I come to. Lord, I want you to speak to me and tell me where is it that you're calling me to go? Who is it you're calling me to reach? I want you to, Lord, speak into my soul and tell me the trajectory of my life. It cannot be, church, that the trajectory that God gives for your life is to work, to retire, and to die. And in the middle of those times, have one or two vacations. That cannot be the trajectory for the sons and daughters of God. The sons and daughters of God, when they Sabbath well, they exit that Sabbath with a deeper love for their Lord Jesus Christ and a hunger for his kingdom cause. That is how you know God's working and stirring in your life. And so I pray for those of you guys who have not rested well, those of us who have not practiced Sabbath well, those of us who when you sing the song, Hymns of Heaven, you know, it's just a nice song, but it doesn't move your soul because, and you're just so excited. I mean, when I hear that song, I was like, I'm just, I just can't wait. A thousand generations singing holy, glorious, the lamb that was slain. A thousand generations of sons and daughters gathered. And on that day, declaring before all nations and histories of people, this is our God. Oh, praise the Lord. And I pray that for you.
church. That you have a rest for your soul that leads you to love your God and lead you to serve your God with an utmost passion, the highest desire. Let's cast away the burdens of the simplicity of our cultural life that we've been so brainwashed to live and take on the mantle of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ whom he whom, whom has died to save us and to free us and to give us a direction for glory and beauty. May you walk in faith this week as you practice your Sabbath. Right? May you walk and if you and I, and I really, I really pray. And I really promise to, this is from God's word, not even from me. I promise that if you would practice it, it will change your life. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come before you uh, this day. And Father, we, we come and we, we confess to you that Forgive us that we have not practiced our Sabbath well or at all. Father, I pray that when we come into this place with you, Lord, that you would give us a season where we are consistently, committedly practicing, being with you physically, emotionally, spiritually. We, Father God, we want to put you to the test. If you commanded us to do so, then, Lord God, help us to obey that command and receive the promise that comes with it. Lord, we're asking for restoration. We're asking for healing. We're asking for awakening. We're asking, God, that you would give us the peace that transcends understanding. Lord, give us the heart to follow your prescription for rest. Teach us, Lord, to love the Sabbath. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.